Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Disclaimer, the following information contains facts that may interrupt your cognitive dissonance or core beliefs that may not be accepted and will be challenged. Congratulations. You've unlocked some Gorilla Radio. I am a crypto keeper, Steve Strange. I will break down a digital asset called cryptocurrency. Putting me rolling into central land. I got no time for glitches. I just need to buy land. They are chasing my bosses. What somebody be telling? But I don't give much. Because I ain't selling. My NFT is not another number. I put a price, so don't place a bit what is under. The banks want to see us there. If a bull price is on our head. But still I have mana on my ledge. So when you bled, every day alive, how will it live? All righty, guys, welcome back. And today we're going to uh, go back to the basics. Let's get back to the beginning of really the ownership and the, um, you know, the, the owning, the buying, the selling, the when, where, how, and all that good stuff on exactly how to, I guess, begin your steps, begin this, this new uh, investment opportunity versus outcome. Um, I'd like to start off uh, by reading a quote from a gentleman and longtime um, investment advocate, um, his name is Max Kaiser. You may or may not have heard of him. He's a very eclectic character in the uh, in the economic space. He's been, um, you know, he, he comes from Wall Street and he comes from a, a lot of different lines of where um, investments come into play. He has a, a show called the Kaiser Report and um, he's been a huge advocate on Bitcoin since 2011 and various times he'll remind you of that because he was promoting it and encouraging that buy back when it was a dollar or less and um, so he's what you would also call a Bitcoin maxi and um, that's a label that's given to various individuals out there that really just hold Bitcoin in true regard and nothing else. 
there's nothing else that matters. Bitcoin is the one true and only um, coin or digital currency to really concern yourself with. And everything else is can just easily fall by the wayside, I guess. According to them, it's uh, very irrelevant. Even, even if you were to explain the advancement in technology and the capability of how much programmable money can go, they will not hear it. They are a Bitcoin maxi through and through. And he is such a genuine Bitcoin maxi that he's even glorified Bitcoin so much that he says it was given down to us from God himself. And uh, that's always a good, a good statement <laughs> to hear from him in, in his context anyways. Um, just because um, when it comes to that, that aspect of loyalty, I kid you not, when it comes to various types of cryptos, the the tribalism kicks in very hard. I will say everyone loves their their favorite token or favorite coin so much that if you can if you say anything that's not in promotion of it, you're going to hear it. And that goes for just about any kind of coin out there. And there's and it doesn't even matter if it's a, a good coin or not a good coin. There's a community behind it, and uh, they will express themselves on how they feel about it. So he, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he did an interview um, some time ago, and I, f I came across this blog in which he made some very interesting points about what he was saying about Bitcoin and its digital scarcity. Digital scarcity goes back to the 90s. You had the internet come along and then came games. And games attempted to create digital currency with game pieces and other aspects like magic swords or magic potions. And those ended up being traded on the secondary market like eBay. Someone would sell their magic potion on eBay and someone would buy that and use it in a game for a jump ahead in winning the game. Second Life had their own virtual exchange called the Linden Dollar, which was traded independently in the game for a value. You already had distributable digitally scarce files or objects, but they weren't transferable. For example, you couldn't go to a deli and buy a sandwich with a magical digital sword, even though on eBay it might be worth 10 or 20 bucks. The guy in the deli won't accept it, you can't reason reasonably have an expectation that the operators of the game won't increase the number of digital swords, even if they say they wouldn't. They're centralized. They could get hacked. The owners could flake out. There's no real guarantee that they will be absolutely scarce. It's not going to cross over to the general economy. It'll be a novelty on eBay, but you're still in that gaming environment. But the thing about Second Life in Linden Dollars is that people would migrate to Second Life and they would live in Second Life and use the Linden Dollar as their currency. But the question was, could you use virtual currency in life outside of the game? That's what Bitcoin does. It takes the gaming currency and makes it useful outside of it because it has distributable absolute scarcity, which is unique. And it's an invention in 2009. It's the only absolutely scarce money that we have. Max Kaiser.
those are, I think, really, really cool points that he makes because this, this blockchain technology will create that amazing opportunity of it being able to function within the game and then extracted outside the game into the real world, real world um, economics. Because it's a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a, well, it's a, a, a digital capability that uh, delivers a, a point of value. It delivers in a way that has never been able to, or that has never been done before. And when it was found out, this capability was able to um, come into fruition the way it has. It really shine the light on what money truly is so you know bitcoin it's it wasn't the first digital currency but it it is the first cryptocurrency all the transactions are recorded and transparent but the addresses and everything all the data they're all encrypted and this is able to pose or act itself as money and money is a unit of account. It's a unit that stores value, a unit that can act as currency to flow systematically. So Bitcoin and its blockchain technology was or is a capability where this, this stored value is able to be able to be present in this, in these chains of blocks and deliver that real world recorded history of value see paper fiat gets printed endlessly and it enables the systematic banking regulations and it enables inflation that some economists will teach to be a good thing but in fact is only enabled a faulty type of system. I mean, just ask other, just ask people in other countries shoveling all their paper money into a landfill or recycling them into crafts. I've seen videos of that and they are not a very nice sight. Bitcoin works because there are only 21 million that will ever be minted. This is a level of scarcity that we may not be too familiar with or possibly even understand. And because of this, it has this level of appreciation that will only continue to rise in value. That supply and demand will become huge because this also, when it, as it appreciates in value, becomes a hedge against deflation or inflation it becomes a savings it becomes a savings into your account because this is a a level of value that will continue to rise when there aren't that many to begin with in comparison to um a lot of other coins out there when a new coin is brought online it's usually 
in the uh, in the circulation supply of the billions. There aren't too many coins that are made, legit coins anyway, that have such a few, very few supply. So what's peculiar about Bitcoin is its speed and scalability. As it was first out the gate, it, um, it is very slow. Five to seven transactions per second kind of slow. Now, if you compare that to what you're used to using a credit card or debit card, uh, whether it's through Visa or any other popular brand out there, when you run a card, it doesn't take too long to clear. It just takes a few seconds, if that, because their transactions per second are into the thousands. And so now you have Bitcoin that's five to seven transactions per second. If that's any understanding on how slow we're talking about here because of the information it's running through all the data through all the blocks that have been created to ensure that there is no copying and that there is no error in these transactional data because each time a block is filled it's basically another recording of this transaction and so originally the bitcoin block the first reward of that of that Bitcoin block, the the very first block, those first blocks that were that were mined and were created, those blocks were when each block is filled and and it moves on to the next one. Each time a block is filled, it releases a number of Bitcoin. So when it was first created, those blocks were supplying fifty Bitcoin. Every time a block was filled, fifty Bitcoin came out. And that began in 2009. Then every four years after that, there is a program schedule in the code. The way it was designed, the way it was set up was for every four years, the supply that these Bitcoin blocks uh, were giving were cut in half. And it's called the halvening. And every four years, this takes place. It became an interesting concept, um, a fascinating one at that, because not only does this kind of put it in a more predictable sense, but it also made it very tr a trustworthy type of system, especially in looking at it for the long term and knowing for sure how this was going to be set up and what to completely expect from how this money was being created. And so during those first four years, at each block, 50 coins were being mined every 10 minutes. Then in 2012, that was cut in half to 25. Then only 25 blocks were being minted. So then there you have four years after that, 2016, the supply is then cut down to half yet again, to 12.5 Bitcoins being mined from each block. And so as crazy as a year as this has been of 2020 so far, this was also a year where this took place. The happening also took place. And so every block that 
had been mined with Bitcoin. Only 6.25 Bitcoin were being given to the supply, into the circulating supply. Now, as you may tell, this number will continue to get smaller because in 2024, we'll be down to just 3.125 Bitcoin being mined, being created into the supply. Now, if that isn't scarcity, I don't know what is. Because what's happened also so far is so many institutions and billionaires have rushed in now and bought up as much as they could that all the Bitcoin that has been mined this year alone has already been bought up. And it's just a matter of time before it becomes a little bit more difficult to find. Then uh, at the time of each halvening also, the market reacts um, in price. So uh, the price is pretty high right now. It's still in the, the last I checked, it was still up into the 18,000 range, but who knows where it can go from there because really it could go either way. But ultimately, we are still at the bottom. Now, if you go back to one of my <clears throat> uh, earlier episodes called Bitcoin Red, we had an interesting conversation where we, where I went into this a little bit further about all the newly mined Bitcoin being purchased. It is a truly a interesting thing to see to play out as as we uh, as we are here now. Um, so second on the um, on the on the coin list is Ethereum. So Ethereum really isn't too much more where in, in transactions per second where it's sitting at 14. So Ethereum is a little bit faster than Bitcoin, but still really slow at 14 transactions per second. And as much as Ethereum gets used and is used uh, within the crypto space, that can be a little frustrating because it can take a while for these transactions to confirm and it can also affect the fees. Uh, the fees are, you can usually be a big deal in transacting crypto when sending uh, to and from and even purchasing. So when you're using crypto, the fees typically or ideally should be very, very low. And I mean less than a cent low. But when transactions are not too good and the system gets congested, there becomes a huge demand on the, the validating of the completion of these transactions. And then so then that can really um, put a strain on the system and that can also add to a huge ordeal in the fees going up. And that's not a good sight. So Ethereum is very interesting because it it functions it has so many functions it's um it's uh it created something called smart contracts so whereas bitcoin code was originally just a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash distribution system something very simple designed to be no more than just a uh, a to b type of thing 
when you apply smart contracts, that means you apply a more programmable sense, um, programmable software onto the code. So you can increase the code, the original Bitcoin core code, and add to it more commands, more of a code to make this money more programmable, where you can, you embed the code with this, with various type of functionality. Like say, for instance, it can, something can automatically distribute money um, to a friend each year on their birthday or a contract on where there's a, um, an estate or a property that's looking to be bought. And once various points of information are brought together, then the money is uh, settled or confirmed, anything along those lines where there's an autonomous nature to it. And you can also tokenize just about any type of physical object onto the blockchain into a smart contract. So as I said, there's very many, many special functions out there with what Ethereum was capable of doing. And um, because of that, it is, uh, it's got really big plans. It has a lot going on for the future in the near future that is. So I'd like to keep going here with uh, some more basic, um, more basic details into how to find out more or get involved into crypto. So if you're, if you've ever really asked how or where do I go to buy? How do I buy? Where do I go to look in the crypto? <clears throat> excuse me then you um really it does take amount an amount of research so the number one uh, one of the main rules in the crypto space is to do your own research is to really find out um about the space so you can get familiar with some of the terms and get familiar with some of the directions um so one of the most commonplace things to do to begin is to go to a centralized exchange, a uh, crypto exchange. So I say centralized exchange because it's, uh, it's versus a decentralized exchange, which I'll get to in a minute. So when you go to an exchange, um, there are a few, well, actually there's a lot out there, but when it comes to those here in America, there are a few. And when, uh, so then it just takes a matter of time to find out which one uh, do you feel comfortable using. The one that's been around the longest, or at least maybe the most trustworthy that has a, a huge reach, is Coinbase. So if you go into a website or type in Coinbase, you'll, you'll definitely find a lot of information on that. And, uh, you know, they um, break it down to you pretty good as far as what they offer, what they feature. You create an account and um, you pretty much you just got to supply some pretty sensitive information, but they have been around the longest and they have um, they are one of the most secure. So your information is um, held. They believe me in the crypto space. There's nothing more important than security. So a lot of these exchanges understand the measures they have to take into extending those levels of security. And so they, 
they have to be aware a lot of a lot of uh, potential errors that may be in the system and, and have them covered so that their information is not compromised as we have seen so many times before with other companies that have um, had their system hacked and exposed a lot of sensitive customer information. And that is as terrible as, you know, one can understand it to be. So as an exchange, they understand the importance of that security. So when you sign up, you're giving the basic information, but you're also extending that with more forms of ID and even possibly into your banking information according to how you want to, uh, how thorough you want to continue to um, involve your finances. And then, uh, so in a few others here in America is uh, an exchange called Kraken. Um, Kraken is very interesting because they suddenly um, have uh, become a bank where they were able to obtain a, a banking, a banking license. So they, they have a, much more um, functionalities and capabilities in um, in how they can offer services, and that's Kraken, K R A K K E N, and uh, they hold a pretty good um, roster of coins as well. Um, if not, uh, they hold much more than Coinbase. And uh, I remember a time when Coinbase only had uh, four. And then they extended to five, six, and seven. Now they have a pretty long list of things. And I will say the the crypto that they carry, um, I consider those to be pretty good um, as far as the, all the ones in their in their list that they offer um, are pretty good projects. Ones that I think will um, really stand uh like the the test of time and whether they'll be adopted or not because their use cases are very very uh very strong as far as where we are headed in the crypto space and how they will be adopted into future finance um, so after kraken we have gemini and um gemini they um they're based in new york they've been around for a while they are still a pretty um uh, still coming about, they have a, a less number of tokens to offer, but they are super secure. Um, I think they're probably one of the most secured um, uh, exchanges. I mean, as far as how they uh, keep your data offline in various places with um, even um, armed security guards in their uh, in their establishment. And then, um, so yeah, then there's another one called Bitrix. Bitrix, B-I-T-T-R-E-X, um, they are sort of affiliated with Gemini. So where Gemini doesn't offer a lot of cryptos, you can find more um, of, a, of an extended roster of altcoins or alternative coins. Uh, that's a term given to everything else besides Bitcoin. And Bitrix carries a, a wider range of coins to look into. From there on, you'll be looking at a lot of other exchanges that are worldwide, most based in Asia um, or in different areas of, of the world, Australia, Japan, Korea. Um, they all have plenty of exchanges within their, within their countries. And, and when it comes to those, 
Um, most times we do not have the capability of creating an account in there. There are many um, rules and regulations set up for U.S. citizens. And so we, um, you know, if even if you attempted to create an account uh, with those, you you won't get very far um, because of some of uh, the the onloading onloading uh, information of signing up. One of the bits of those regulations is called KYC, and that's probably one of the strongest regulations that you'll go through in signing up in with an account. And it's called uh, it stands for Know Your Customer, and that's their way of um, really identifying what um, your nationality is, and also um, maintaining some. Uh, I, you know, identifiable aspect to who you are because that runs into something they call AML and that stands for anti-money laundering. So one thing that the crypto space has been uh, negated for is the, is, is the possible nefarious uh, actions that may have taken place such as a black market. And uh, one thing that the media has promoted um, to crypto in the early days that some people may be under the influence is that crypto is not good for anything other than illegal uh, services. And well, with the type of regulations that are set in and security, such as this KYC and AML, you really see that that's almost not possible using crypto because it is, again, even going back to the Bitcoin's transactions of them being very transparent, if something doesn't look right um, as far as the amounts or something kind of suspicious, it gets flagged. Um, it you'll, I mean, the the um, transactions can be um, found out very quickly, as opposed to actual paper fiat money, which has no tracking abilities. And so, these are the types of regulations that you'll be going through when you sign up to acquire some Bitcoin. Now, the, the other side of that is for decentralized exchanges. And these are basically um, exchanges that are um, kind of created as a program online. And so they have their, uh, their own web address and they act autonomously, meaning you don't go through any company. It's just a program in itself that um, acquires the Bitcoin um, on its own, whether it has its own liquidity pool, its own, uh, source of its, um, if it's of, of its funding, or it acquires it from other exchanges. And so also referred to as a DEX, a decentralized exchange acts as a, um, um, just basically its own version of an exchange of it, taking care of, uh, the functions that you ask it to do. So let's say you, go into a DEX and uh, you found the coin that you're looking for, all you do is um, offer or deposit the the currency that it asked for. And in return, you'll hit the trade um, to, for the coin that you're going for. So it's a simple, you know, it's almost uh, just a simple transaction. You just have to be familiar with um, the functionality and the buttons on what um what to push when you're going in and out of that sort of thing 
they're they're not too user friendly. Looking at it, it can look like a headache, um, but they're not too difficult either. Another interesting place to get crypto are in, within wallets. So some wallets um, offer exchanges within them, and they also either go through a central exchange or go through a decentralized exchange. It depends on what wallet. But I like to uh, recommend those wallets that actually have that capability. So um, not only is it a place that you can store your crypto, but it's also a place you can um, pick some crypto up whenever you need it as well, um, you know, at any time. So it's uh, it's kind of a, an all-in-one sort of place to, you know, to find what you're looking for. It's very convenient and it's um, very economically friendly as well. So that leads us to the buying versus the selling. Um, when you buy uh, any coins, such as Bitcoin or crypto or altcoins, you um, are buying at a certain point to where you're hoping to get in at a good price, if that matters to you. Meaning you want to try and buy crypto when the price is um, at a lower range. You know, the price can fluctuate up and down a lot. So if you can get into a Bitcoin or into a crypto when the price is low, uh, I think you might feel a little bit uh, better off because uh, sometimes you can go back and look into your balance and see some the number a lot less than what you had originally purchased it at, and that can get a little frustrating. Um, and then so the same goes for selling. If you actually want to try and let go of some crypto at any point and sell, Either at the time of your doing it, and it doesn't matter. It's just the transaction that's taking place. That's a very easy, uh, very easy function to do as far as just hitting the trade button and hitting the sell button, and then it in, entering the amount that you're looking to sell, either all of it or some of it. And you usually have to enter the amount um, specifically, depending depending on the interface. Again, it's as if um, you can enter just the dollar amounts or you have to enter all the, um, the decimals. Um, so it depends again on, um, what, uh, app you're using. A lot of apps are different, but again, very simple. It's just a matter of becoming familiar with it and the functionalities on, um, and, and look for some tutorial videos. There's some really good tutorial videos on, uh, YouTube or, you know, Google it. So, uh, it's one of the most important things to think about is how to store your crypto. Whenever you're storing it, you want a wallet that, um, is of course secure, um, but also reliable. So there's various, there are various types of wallets out there. And what you want to do is look at a, um, a review, um, on what others, how others feel about it. You know, whether they feel it works okay or whether it's, um, um, you know, easy to use or not. Sometimes some are really, really basic and you want to store your crypto there. And um, again, I would like to say that there's nothing more important than actually owning your money because there's there's a big difference in what people can understand as a bank holding your money, which is not the same. It's not the same as owning money and you having the crypto yourself and then you storing your money 
within the wallet. So um, I will uh, add that there are a lot of, um, let's say, Robinhood users out there. And um, I've come across this um, quite frequently throughout um, my time in trying to introduce crypto to many people out there. And uh, what I found is whenever we engaged in a conversation of crypto and they do mention Robinhood, um, they are just as PayPal is. PayPal has suddenly uh, become into the crypto space as well, allowing the opportunity for people to buy crypto. But uh, honestly, I don't know how much you actually can own it when it's in their possession because you can actually withdraw it. So if you cannot withdraw your crypto out from any um, institution or any platform or app that you're using, then you actually do not own it because you have to have that form of control. You have to have that availability when you need it, wherever you need it. And so that's why having wallets are very, very important so that you can have a place to store it so you can access it. And if you need to move it or do whatever you need to do with it at the time. And when you create a wallet, just, just note that um, part of the sign up or setup process um, is a something called a um, recovery phrase. And so you're given a series of words that are unique to your account. And so you must um, be very careful when you record, uh, when you write down your recovery phrase and put it off to the side, you have to um, make sure it's safe and secure. Like uh, don't um, store it in another app on your phone because if your phone can get hacked and that can be found out. Preferably, if you do have a recovery phrase, either memorize it, which can be difficult because it can range from anywhere from 12 words to 24, or put it off into another safe somewhere. Because this is your recovery phrase that will allow you to open that wallet and any other device if needed. Say if your phone gets lost or destroyed, you can pull that app up and recover your whole account with just that phrase alone. So it pretty much owns your account completely. And um, that goes into the keys. Uh, whenever you're given that wallet, you have these keys, uh, the public or the private keys. And again, it would say it would say within the wallet. And, you, and it's very explanatory. If it's a public key, it's one you can share because that's how crypto can get sent to you. If it's a private key, that means it's yours and don't let anyone know of it. And um, so if moving on, if you've ever heard of something called forks, in crypto so forks are a way that you can kind of separate the original concept of the project and it'll fork off and it'll become a new project so a hard fork there's a hard fork and a soft fork a soft fork really isn't too much it's just a slight variation of a um, bit of the programming that becomes uh, more it, it's just a level of compatibility and it's not a big thing, but hard forks are a big thing because that's when you can completely separate the project into something else. Now, let's say, for instance, you take that original project and you um, if you're a developer and you say rather than 10 minute block times, um, you want want five minute block times, you know, saying you're making a faster, more improved version of the original project. So when you do that, you create a whole new project in itself. 
and it forks off into, you know, that project of it being with the five minute block times. And it, you know, it's that split that creates other projects. Um, for instance, one of the big examples is Bitcoin. If you've ever seen or asked, why are there so many different types of Bitcoin out there? Well, that's exactly what happened. They split the code, the, the code and applied something else different, thinking that they could improve it. So then you got uh, Bitcoin Cash and then uh, Bitcoin uh, Satoshi Vision or SV or Bitcoin Diamond. And it goes on from there. There's so many other types of Bitcoin, but none are the original Bitcoin. That is why the original Bitcoin is the one that everyone is trying to acquire. And as the level of value it does, it's not going anywhere and it will remain dominant. Ethereum also had a fork too, where it was um, hacked in its early day. And so there had to be drastic measures taken and the community of the Ethereum network took a vote as to whether or what could be done so as the hacker was um, intervening into the Ethereum code and was stealing a lot of funds, they uh, decided to fork the Ethereum code and create a different one in order to take the extreme action that they did to compromise the project itself and then actually go back and reverse some of the hackers' um, dealings or stealings uh, to reacquire some of the funds and that's not too cool of a thing to think about when uh you if you think well as digital money as this is you know how you know what are some of the errors that could take place and that could actually be one but it takes a lot for something like that to happen and i mean um expensive a lot so moving on we go into taxes now taxes vary from country to country and it all depends on where you are where you're from taxes aren't really um they haven't really been a strong note as of yet um, each year um, but this year alone was actually one of significance where the irs was uh, being more outspoken on um, everyone owning crypto even um, approaching some of the exchanges such as coinbase and, and I'm sure Kraken because they're a bank now, but being much more um, interrelated with those centralized exchanges and acquiring information that's needed. I mean, they are the IRS in America. So what are you going to do? Just be sure from here on. I mean, and you're not going to miss it because they recently changed the tax form as well to asking that question. Do you own crypto at the very top of the form, like right under after your name and address that's the next question they ask so they're you know they're going to be much more diligent in acquiring the information on whether you're involved or not so you have to be sure to report even whether there were trades on gains if there were any gains or not it doesn't matter you have to report what you're holding and and um and that you know, it could be a bit of a challenge if you go to someone and they're not familiar with crypto yet in this next tax season. Uh, that's going to be a learning curve for all of you. And um, so moving on, that goes to trading. Trading, um, that's a whole other evolution and psychology and moving in the crypto space that I hope to uh, delve into further because that's um, another 
Another aspect of learning how money works and how to move, how to um, consider your movements in the space, because again, knowing and knowing when to uh, buy and sell, you know, at the top and at the bottom, that's, um, that's something that really should be understood in the crypto space from here on. If a lot of the projects that you get involved with remain volatile, as opposed to those coins that hold stability and price, such as the stable coins that stay at a dollar value. So I hope to um, go into trading a little bit further in another time um, to go into why things called pump and dumps take place. So as we move on, the centralized and decentralized. Centralization and decentralization are a big uh, factor in the crypto space. In fact, decentralization is why crypto was created in the first place. In the first place, so that we could um, have some level of, I don't know, individual ownership or some level of um, of an open source, of an open type of availability for this code, for it to be an opportunity for every individual around the world. And so... In the decentralized space, in the crypto space, there are funny terms that are used. One term is called FUD, F-U-D, and uh, that stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Sometimes some level of news or rumor would get put out there, and it would create a stir. It would create a fear. It would create some kind of disturbance that would um, kind of scare people into selling or, you know, letting go of the crypto for whatever reason because they're told some negative news about it and then the price will start to dump and so FUD can do a lot of damage unnecessary damage <clears throat> because it may not be true so that in a way is not something that you want to hear especially in a project that you're fond of then we go into something called FOMO fear of missing out fear of missing out is a uh, a big key in getting people started in the adoption towards individuals who are looking into crypto and not sure why, but they're doing it because they have that fear of missing out. There's many others doing it, and so you have to find out what's going on. Again, do your own research. Don't just jump in things like this. Another funny term is HODL. If you've ever seen this, H-O-D-L. It's the strangest term and doesn't make any sense at first until you learn early on that not only does it stand for hold on for dear life but it's a um it was a typo that was brought on to the crypto space very in the very early days when bitcoin was the only one and in a forum called btc chat or bitcoin uh, bitcoin talk actually um, someone went on a long rant in a post about the importance of needing to hold on to Bitcoin because it's going to be very valuable in the long term and it's going to um, become very, very, um, very valuable digital asset. So where they were trying to emphasize the importance of holding on to it, they put in the typo of HODL. So HODL for dear life because... Um, you, this is an investment you do not want to let go. And one of the reasons it kind of plays in as far as saying, saying, hold on for dear life is because of something called weak hands. Now, 
as I mentioned further, as I mentioned before, when bringing up FUD, if you have weak hands, that's a term that's used to someone not being able to uh, be resilient enough to hold on to their crypto and are quick to easily uh, sell their crypto. So if you have weak hands, then you were shaken out and you were convinced to let go of your investment prematurely, which is not uh, too good of a thing because, uh, you know, you might be missing out on a price um, appreciation that could have proved to be very valuable in your account in the near or long term. So next time uh, any kind of FUD comes out, you want to be sure and you want to make sure that you have strong hands and you're, you are not shaken out of the system. So we're getting close to the end here. I just want to bring up one more point about Ethereum. So Ethereum is going through a trans uh, transition right now where 2.0 is trying to um, come out with, um, well, trying to be the new Ethereum. As I was mentioning earlier, a lot of the shortcomings or setbacks that Ethereum has and being too slow and having some, uh, you know, some bits of inefficiency in the code, it needs to be re like redeveloped or re um, just updated. So they're coming out with Ethereum 2.0, which is going to be um, more, more faster, more scalable, much more, you know, um, a much more uh, feasible operation to carry out a lot of functions in the crypto space. So keep a look, uh, keep a lookout and eye out for how Ethereum 2.0 is going to play out. It's still really, there was a lot of, um, hmm, difficulty in it trying to make its way, um, this far because it had a lot of, uh, some hardships and obstacles to come over in, 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 uh, financing. So really the development of 2.0 happened, um, pretty late in the game as far as it really getting, uh, some traction this year. And honestly, it's, it's, um, I really don't think it's going to come out as early as people think, uh, we're being told it's this year, but honestly, realistically, it's it makes more sense to think about how much testing needs to go behind something like this, that it's going to take a little more time. That's not to say there aren't other projects out there that can take its place until that does come out. Um, just, uh, just know that Ethereum is a very uh, worthwhile investment because it's going to become much more uh, valuable in, in its scarcity. So check this out. Every year, uh, about 4 million Ethereum uh, is issued. So there is no solid cap as Bitcoin is. You know, So Bitcoin, there's only 21, right? 21 million that ever be made. Ethereum doesn't work that way. It's a little different because of its, uh, its, its necessities. So each year, 4 million Ethereum is issued. And that's to compensate for a lot of um, like fees and um, um, like throughputs that it needs to carry out. It just it has a lot of different levels of functionalities. Um, when Ethereum 2.0 comes out, only in the range somewhere in the range of like five hundred thousand to one million are going to be issued each each year. That's a significant reduction in supply. And that's also going to be a significant um, uh, valuable source 
as far as the supply and demand of Ethereum goes. And that's going to make it a little bit more valuable, um, I think, as far as owning it. And uh, even the creator himself, his name is Vitalik Buterin, he even said this is going to be supersonic sound money. And I think that's a very interesting term to use for uh, referring to money as far as it being sound money. Um, so, um, and that was from a interview, uh, a very interesting interview from a, uh, a, a show or a, um, something I've referred to in a link that I have called, uh, real, um, real vision crypto. Real vision is an investment channel that they delivered some really, really good information, um, as far as economics and investment goes. And they've also, so they've sectioned off a crypto version of it. And uh, they have some really good discussions and they interview Vitalik Buterin where he kind of goes into depth about um, what the history and the, the future projections of Ethereum 2.0 will be. So um, a lot of interesting things to think about here. And uh, again, a lot of uh, thorough analysis for you to kind of figure out your position on how you want to get started. I hope some of this information was very interesting and important for you because um, it is an important step to take and I don't want you to um, kind of miss like uh, I don't want to say FOMO but I don't want you to miss out on an advantage and an opportunity that's happening right now um, before so many more come into this space. I mean think about it. There are um, efforts to get everyone around the planet hooked into this system, but they're not there yet. So the supply and demand is pretty decent right now, but that supply and demand is going to increase like something we've never seen before. So this is an advantage. This is an opportunity to get started. If you like, think about it and get started as soon as you can. All right, guys. Thank you all so much. Later. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more disruption. This is One Nation Under God and Crypto for All. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.